The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, as you're finding your way to a seat there, uh, we're here in our second week of this uh, small gift series, and we've been having uh, the kids uh, come and find whatever the smallest gift there is under the tree. And, uh, so do I have a kid, maybe Abel? Do you want to give it a shot? Do you want to find the little tiny gift under the tree and, and bring it up here for me? And we'll see what it is. All right. It was kind of disappointing last week, wasn't it? It was, it was a candy cane, so maybe it'll be a better one this week. So we're here in the second week of, or actually the third week of Advent, right? Yes, third week of Advent, though it's the second week of this series. And also, if you're here for the first time, you may be wondering what our uh, high-end artwork is here behind us. We did a series right before this called Flannel Graph, for those that might be familiar with that ancient art form from the uh, mid-last century. Ah, here we go. And uh, what we did is over four weeks' time, we went through the entire Old Testament and managed to put together 32 feet of fuzzy cloth as a way of, of really setting the stage for now entering the Advent season. This is the story before the story. And so, hey, thank you guys for finding this. It's a, there. It's a slightly different shape than the one on there. But as we're doing this uh, kind of time of preparation going into eventually Christmas, uh, we've had a small gift each week that hopefully, uh, let's see, this one felt a lot heavier, right? So... You think it's going to be better than the little rinky-dink candy cane last year? How do you describe the candy canes last year, last week? They're the kind of candy canes that they hand out at church. They're, yeah. So, anyway, we. Um, all right. Look what. Ah. Hmm. This is not going to be a very good Christmas, is it, Abel? We are. Someone must have been bad because these have not. It's. I mean, you could guess. It really, could be anything, depending on the economy. It could be. <laughs> Could be could be high end uh, could be crab meat, uh, tuna, or catfish or, or excuse me uh, cat food, catfish I could go for, uh, a small weird gift, in some ways. Uh, I mentioned some of the stories of my sister and I as, as children, which are harrowing tales certainly. Uh, another thing that my sister and I did before uh, our dad built our the house we moved into when I was around four years old, uh, we were living in an apartment. And I must have been three-ish or so, and, and Jill would have been one, one and a half in there. And we had a game we would play. We would take all the canned goods out of the cupboard that, oddly enough, were at our level. Uh, and I'm surprised they never fixed that over the years. That always stayed down there. And we would proceed to take all the labels off the cans. And then, because uh, it was just fun to do. We also would occasionally uh, get out the can opener, and, and most of the kids here think a can opener is something that, that you click it in and it spins around, it's got like lasers and motors and stuff like that. But no, it was the, it was the old-fashioned kind you'd, you'd sort of put on there. And we wouldn't necessarily open the cans, but we would get it on there enough to just, just crimp it a little bit, It'd just put a, just a small hole. And then when we were done, we would put them back in the cupboard. <laughs> so that... Days, weeks, 
months later, there'd be this, oh, what is that smell when a can got opened in the kitchen? Um, because, well, food rots when you open it. And, and really, there's, there's not much more to the story except it's kind of funny, except to say, isn't it interesting that we live in a culture, and at the time, it's before my dad had his, uh, his CPA you know, license and all that stuff, so we were kind of solidly lower middle class. And yet, as children, we were able to play with food. And if you did open one that kind of got ruined, it really was just sort of a gross moment, but it wasn't like we were going to go hungry that night. Might not be able to sit down well, depending on who, whether it's mom or dad who opened the can, but, but you would not go hungry. Uh, and so this idea that we have such abundance to the point that there's, there's just leftovers after leftovers that, that can be toys or wasted or, or perhaps used more wisely is part of what we're going to talk about tonight. These small gifts that can make all the difference in the world. And so we pick up somewhat where we left off last week. Uh, last week we talked about simple preparations. And we looked at, we looked at John the Baptist. Uh, that was the nickname he eventually got, right? When he was just uh, an infant, eight days old, his father Zechariah prays over and prophesies that, that this child will be a prophet of the Most High. And what was his role going to be? Do you guys remember? He was to prepare the way. We looked at how in his own life he spent some serious time in the wilderness being prepared personally, but that wasn't enough. His role also was to help others be prepared. And so apparently his, his efforts along these lines have been going really well because crowds just keep gathering down by the Jordan River. That was uh, somewhere here in the second week as they crossed the Jordan River to enter the Promised Land. That was this border of sorts. And all kinds of people are coming. His, his message or his personality or something about what he's doing is very attractive. And things are starting to pick up. And people are really getting into the Christmas spirit even though they don't yet know they're celebrating Christmas, but, but it's sort of happened. No one just knows about it. They weren't putting out decorations six weeks beforehand just yet. Uh, but they're really starting to get this thing of, of being ready. And so with consumer demand high, John has a golden opportunity, right? It's somewhat like a, like a dot-com startup. They're not making money yet, but they've got lots of followers, and now's his ch- chance to monetize it, to really turn this into something real. All these people are showing up. And so, here's his sales pitch. Here's how he's going to extract some value out of all these people showing up. And uh, really take advantage of the fact that there's these huge crowds. We're looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. And if you want to follow along using the uh, the red Bibles there, it's on page 834. But Gospel of Luke, chapter 3. And here's how John kind of talks to all these wonderful people who are just showing up in droves. There's some real church growth principles here that uh, I want you to catch as, uh, as John begins speaking. Luke chapter 3, verse 7 says, John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? You brood of vipers. Stop right there for a moment. We don't tend to use snake-based uh, curses much these days. But again, if you were here over the last several weeks, do you recall 
in the Jewish people's history, any incidents with snakes uh, and how those went over. Satan personified there back in the story of creation in the garden. Did not go well with that particular snake incident. Uh, Here in the wilderness, as they were wandering, the the poisonous snakes would keep biting them and they'd, they'd just die left and right. They made that bronze serpent that was this, this focus of prayer and that, uh, that God somehow worked through that to heal folks. So snakes, not a real positive thing to call someone. So basically saying, you, you slimy, slithering SOBs, what are you doing showing up here as though things can just be right just like that? Not much of a Christmas speech, is it? <laughs> He says, if you're for real, in essence, verse 8, it says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Because that's what they're doing right now. It's a, it's a, form, of, it's a form of baptism, pre, a precursor of sorts to what we think of as Christian baptism. That was this physical act of prayer, uh, an outward cleansing to signify something inwardly going on, that they were repenting, turning away from one thing and being prepared to hear from God. He said, if you're truly repenting, here's what that may eventually look like. He says, bear fruits, worthy repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, you know, we have Abraham as our ancestor, the, the father of the Jewish people we talked about a few weeks ago. You know, don't lean on your pedigree or your family tree. For I tell you, God is able, even from these stones just lying here in the ground, to raise up children to Abraham. He says, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. And we're not talking, you know, Christmas trees here. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So some pretty strong words. There's this popular movement. Everyone's excited. And here's John, apparently, (laughs) sensing something may not be right. People may be caught up in the, in the spirit of the moment and yet miss and not be prepared for what God actually wants to do. And so whether a bunch of them were faking it or not, their response is actually pretty good. It says in Luke chapter 3, verse 10, And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? What then should we do? Sort of a dangerous question, isn't it? We do a lot of things uh, in non-traditional fashion around here. That's that's probably true. Uh, But if you've been around for a while, and actually if we had bulletins, you'd you'd see this... (laughs) So that one of, the, one of the things we do when we lean into some of the traditions that we find helpful is how we pattern the, the flow of worship. That's actually a rather ancient pattern that we tend to follow, that we'll mix it all up in, you know, in between, that probably has developed over the first two, three, four hundred years of church history. It's this fourfold pattern of worship that begins with gathering and then word, which is sort of the time we're in now, then table, uh, the communion table, and then sending forth. Uh, word, uh, gather, word, table, send forth. 
And do you notice what we often do during that gathering time before we come into the, the time of, in God's word? What's, what's one of the pieces that we almost always do every week? We did it again this week. We sing. You know, say anything else? You there in the back row, my son. We greet each other. Confession. And actually, the singing and the greeting are somewhat uh, bookends to that. There's a confessional time. And it's up front for a purpose. There's really no point in hearing from God if we don't recognize, well, that we need to hear from God. There's really no point in, in asking this question. It would just be rhetorical. You know, what then should we do? You know, tell me some, some clever things I should think about. Is about the extent it would go to. Unless we see that there's an actual deep need to hear from God. And fortunately... For these folks, John is is challenging. They are genuinely ready. And so they ask this question. So when we spend time in confession, it's it's a way of getting genuinely ready to then ask the question, what then should I do? And so here is John's chance. You might argue he was a little harsh there early on and sort of blew an opportunity to... To, to really start a movement. <laughs> but nothing, nothing too bad went, went down. But this is John's chance to get really spiritual, right? Because they're ready to hear something. This is John's opportunity to just blow their minds. To tell them something that it may take them an entire lifetime to figure out what was it that he said and meant that day down by the river. Because if God's going to speak to us, it's clearly it will be something very esoteric and hard to understand, right? Because that's how the God of the Bible is, just very unclear about things. Or, or maybe not. So here's, here's what John says in response to what then should we do. Luke chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats... And right there, they're thinking, oh, what, what do the coats represent? Because you, know, you can cover yourself with a coat. You can, you can uncover yourself, but that sometimes causes trouble. Uh, clearly, there's, there's a deep metaphor there. Two coats. And in that context, you know, maybe they're thinking, you know, not everyone has two coats. But I have two coats. <gasps> he's talking to me. Right? The pastor, the pastor, it's like he sees right in my heart. And he's talking right to me. Whoever has two coats, oh, so this is going to be good. This is some deep metaphors. Lifetime figuring this stuff out. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. What could he mean? We're going to have to come back again next week because this is... Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has, you know, some extra food lying around must do likewise. Oh, what could the food represent? It's spiritual nourishment. Uh, uh, or maybe it's, maybe it's food. I wonder, this would be, let's see, John would probably be speaking Aramaic and then it was translated into the Koine Greek. And so we probably should go back and look at those words and see now, what does it mean by coat and food? 
what should we then do? It's almost silly to then try to make up something more complicated. Verse 12 says, even tax collectors. And whatever you think about tax collectors nowadays, uh, far worse back then. They were an, an extension of the empire. They were an organ of the state. And they were known for kind of taking a little extra. And there was nothing you could do. Uh, so they would extort. They would, they would levy higher taxes than they had to. And particularly those who were Jewish tax collectors were seen as, as traitors. They were in essence collecting the funds for those who were oppressing them. It says even tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked him, they asked John the Baptist, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him. Soldiers. So tax collectors, bad enough. But these are the enforcers of the empire. The Roman Empire, which has control of most of the known world there, is oppressing God's people there in Israel. And so these soldiers may include those who are non-Jewish, which would be rather interesting that they're seeking after the, the God of the Jews. Or perhaps worse, maybe Jewish soldiers, which would mean without a doubt they are completely unclean, completely banned from being part of the sacrificial system in the, in the temple and being part of the worship celebrations because uh, everything they touch literally is tainted with death. It says even the soldiers asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. So it seems somewhat silly to me to try to think of more complicated ways of saying this. Like, I'm not sure there's a message in here beyond just reading this and say, if you even remotely understand this, uh, just go ahead and do this. (laughs) Don't we often think it should be far more complicated? Because if it was complicated, then we could hide out in the, in the interpretations and the nuances. We could you kind of sit and think for a long, long time until we had it all figured out. And then we might do something. But, but if it's too straightforward and easy, well, then, you know, what's stopping us? Coats probably means coats. I'm guessing food means food. And that's all it says. Back in like another 40 minutes I need to fill. (laughs) If we had to kind of break it down in some principles, again, seems a little silly to go to that effort, but it might be helpful just as a way of of really letting this sink in. 
Because I can imagine in this context here that it would be very different than our context. So you might actually say to a group of people, if you have two coats, and in that group of people, it may be a small minority that actually does have two coats. And if you said, if you have extra food, and it may have only been a smattering of folks who really had extra food. But how about here? Anyone show up here in you know, kind of some tattered shorts and a tank top uh, you know, tonight? Uh, hungry because you haven't eaten for days? No? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> so here's some ways we might apply this to us, or just some other ways of thinking about it. The first thing we might actually do is measure what we have. He said, for these guys, they probably didn't have to do this, this huge inventory in their minds of, how many coats do I have again? And uh, let's see, in the food, I've got food in so many places, hard to keep track of. Occasionally, you know, the kids play with it, and sometimes it goes to waste and you have to throw it away. Yeah, that, that was not happening for these guys. This, this was not just another building block toy. Uh, but for us, if we actually took the time to stop and measure what we had, we might be surprised at how much we do have. To measure what we actually have, for us, might be the more appropriate starting point. To go and look in the attic, in the basement, in the garage. For some of us to actually really let it sink in that we pay rent on behalf of some of our stuff. That we'd rather have our adult children move out of the house and go not pay their rent. But some of our stuff, we will actually rent space for that. Because we we have so much of it that we need to go put it in storage somewhere. Because we may someday need it. Uh, And so measuring that, uh, over the last, I don't know, probably six to eight years, this has been an ongoing, uh, recurring habit for, for my family. That... We try to clear house as much as possible. And, and each year, there's less to get rid of. But man, it creeps, the stuff creeps back in. Um, here's a, a, an easy trick. If uh, some of you that uh, have those packed full closets, and you really think you need every one of those things, uh, what you might do is first go through the closet and kind of decide, I'm never going to fit in that again. Uh, I never want to fit in that again. Uh, you know, I've got some... I've got some uh, late 80s, early 90s rayon shirts that, that button up to the collar. Yeah, I don't know that I'm ever going to wear those again. Uh, and that's a good thing. Um, but you may want to clear some of those out, take them to Goodwill or whatever. Uh, and then you're going to say, but I really need the rest of this. Here's what I'd suggest you do. Take all of them out, turn them around, and put the hangers in backwards. Just do that one simple thing. And then sometime when it's spring cleaning kind of hits you, go into your closet and see how many of those you still haven't touched for months because the hanger's still on there backwards. And then say, you know, (laughs) at some point, like Basil the Great said, maybe this is stealing. (laughs) Maybe maybe this isn't the best use of all this stuff to just be here. So, So measure. And then share. 
And notice the level of sharing that John is challenging them to. Is it, is it sacrificial? Uh, it might be a little bit for those guys, but, but mostly saying share out of your abundance. And certainly in this context for us, long before the sharing cuts deep, there's a lot of abundance that we could share out of, right? Get not real complicated stuff. But to just do something with that extra. And then he does mention that there's a need to, uh, to, to take care of uh, yourself and your family. And so there is a part where we do consume things. But how does John describe consumption? He says, consume only what you need. So to the tax collector, to the soldier, you know, don't extort more. Don't, don't go after so much more than you need that it's just, it's obscene. It hurts others. It, it damages you. So sure, consume what you need, but keep it in check. And then finally he says, in essence, be satisfied. Find satisfaction in what is sufficient. And so here's where it might be a little more nuanced. Because uh, we're not talking about, or I'm not talking about, you know, if you have a miserable lot in life, just assume that's what God wants for you and be satisfied. I, I don't think that's how scripture describes the life God calls us to. We'll go through trials and tough times and, and not everything will be perfect, but uh, it is not biblical to think that misery uh, is the state of being for those seeking after God. But there is a, a type of satisfaction with what's sufficient that is incredibly healthy, unbelievably freeing. And so, there's not much more than that. I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. We got, again, I got like 30 minutes left still. But since this is the, uh, the 5 p.m. service, that's ostensibly rated M for mature, uh, why don't we throw it open just a little bit? I didn't, I didn't do this this morning, so uh, this is just for you guys. What are some of your thoughts on this? On what John challenges him for to do. He says these are the fruits of repentance, that if you're really turning from one way of life towards another, this is how it might look. Uh, about whether you think it's hard or easy, complicated or simple. What are, what are some of your thoughts on, on this? Good or bad? What was the name? I think folks can kind of hear, but I'll say it again. So long status quo. So long status quo. And the name of the author was? Susie Flory. Susie Flory. And I, I actually know this person fairly well. It's my mother-in-law, Tilly. Uh, but Tilly, you, you teach over at Roberts Wesleyan College in the uh, social work. You're, you're, you're Dr. Tilly. In this, uh, with, um, so you had one of your classes do this.
And those were poor college students, you know, that, you know, they got books and tuition and live it, and yet they were able to, uh, to make some changes there. So that's encouraging to hear how things can uh, happen. Liz. And something if you go out dancing and then you need one for no, your part. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Liz. Yeah, so, yes, that's why you, we have to actually use our minds, like you said, and, and apply some of that. So it may be appropriate to have, you know, more than one coat. Yeah, and I think, you know, if I had one pair of shoes, that'd be great, but I can't wear sneakers to work as a Sure. Great. You can answer your own question if you feel like. Does anyone have an answer for that that you've... Does anyone here want to tell Liz what she needs to do with her life? Because um, she's, she's begging for direction. I'm, I am hopefully good friends with Liz, have been up to this point. Uh, going forward, we'll see how things go. But some suggestions towards that. Uh, Brian. That there's a, there's a fear, and, and that fear somewhat happens naturally, but it is definitely compounded and multiplied by, you know, by all the forms of propaganda, advertising, that, that will say things that you are, you are an incomplete person. You certainly, you know, you're, you're emasculated, you're, 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 you're never going to mount anything if you don't have, you know, this kind of car, this type of house, this... This uh, latest and greatest, um, you know, you know, I, I weep for those who who have, you know, the iPhone, you know, first generation. I'm so I'm so glad that that I waited until the the, the, the GS came out because, you know, and I remember when I bought my first computer back in '93. It's probably a $3,500 purchase. Um, it was a fraction of the ability of this one. And yet I would, you know, I want more, more, more. And there's kind of what Liz, you know, can you not 
love Jesus in people in, in on an iPhone? Uh, clearly, you can. You know, that's a good question. How much can you consume? So, so balancing those things. But that fear uh, is one of the sources of... So that gets to some of the cause. Anyone have any... Now, recognizing that fear, some more practical things for, for what Liz was talking about. How do you apply some of that? So um, this very attractive woman in the front row here. This is my wife, for those who, are, who, who just got that creepy cult vibe. No. Uh, <laughs> we haven't even taken the offering yet. I, I'll cl- no. uh, sorry. Just don't try the doors, because they're locked. Um, this is <laughs> Lisa. Like that coat hanger trick is just a, a clothes hanger trick. It's a simple. Coat hanger trick every year, and, and every year, the next year, there's still stuff hanging back. Um, yeah. But even stuff like kitchen supplies, or you know, kitchen gadgets, or um, shoes, or you know, stuff like that. I've got probably five pairs of shoes that I haven't worn in two years, but I keep thinking, well, I can use that for you know, next spring I'll need, or especially stuff for the kids. If people give me things for the kids, I'll say, oh, how she'll, she'll be great for next. Oh, that's, man, I married well. That is, and let me interject a, a thought here, um, because I thought it was fascinating that, that John does not call them to sacrificial giving. You notice that he doesn't lay it on real thick and say, you need to give well beyond it hurting. Now, we all know that God will call us to sacrificial expressions of our faith, uh, that that's, that's part of living this life in the way of Jesus. What's fascinating is that's not where this starts, though. And I can put this up on the screen here. Just a, a simple principle I thought came out of this is that we will never give sacrificially. Like, we'll never get to that place of giving sacrificially if we don't give sufficiently. And it's a similar principle there that you'll never be able to have, live with less until you start living with just enough and then figure out, well, maybe... Enough is more than I need. Uh, you know, there's seasons of my life with this idea where, where God doesn't seem to be asking me to do any really big stuff. And so I figure I just need to keep it stored up, you know, kind of hold back. And Now, he may ask me to do a series of rather inconsequential little things, but really I cannot be bothered because uh, I got to keep it for the big stuff for when the big ask comes. And for some reason, in those seasons, God never gets around to ask. I'm ready. I mean, clearly I'm ready to, to really give sacrificially. Um, that's, that's why I don't bother with the little stuff, right? And God says, well, if you can't handle the little stuff, why would I give you anything more to handle? And so I love that, that principle Lisa just put out there of figuring out what's sufficient and then finding out that maybe even less than that is. Um, so like I said, we are, no, we are no perfect example of that. But 
our lives are so much simpler now than they were oh, probably eight or nine years ago is when that really started to kick in. You know, we're a one-car family, which living where we do in the city, the, the lifestyle we've chosen, we can pull that off. It's occasionally inconvenient. We also have other friends who are one-car families. You know what's really great is we live next door to each other, so we're really one-and-a-half-car families. Right. Happened today. You know, Abel, Scott's son, came and hung out with us, you know, for the late afternoon because Scott was here with the band. And then, then Abel came with us in the car and, and giving rides. And so asking about what you need, another thing to go beyond just the personal thing is then ask, how do we do this together as a community? You know, we, we've asked this question occasionally. You know, how many lawnmowers uh, does a group of people need? How many Xboxes and, and Wii's? And we've determined in our little you know, collection of uh, folks who live rather close to each other, up in the neighborhood of the arts, that, you know what, you only need one lawnmower for three lawns. If you're willing to share them with each other, uh, you only need one Xbox. Uh, it needs to be at my house, but you only need the one. Uh, no, and, and occasionally, and, and Abel, you know this, the Nintendo Wii, that sometimes moves around, doesn't it? Because we got folks, we own multi, multi-family homes that, uh, you know, because all the money we're raking in here, we've been just pouring it into real estate. And so... <laughs> So, uh, so I own, t- I own two houses. Um, you know, we just, we kind of switch between them. We get bored with one. We go, no, it's not like that at all. Um, but some of the friends that, that rent from us there, you know, things end up there. We were working on the, ba- the bathroom upstairs. Uh, so they used our shower and bathroom. And it was just kind of that sharing thing. Abel, what are some of your thoughts on, on sharing and stuff? And maybe you have some insightful words about the Nintendo Wii. Uh, oh, so, so what you're saying, and this, this kind of goes to what Liz was saying, um, you know, how do you apply this stuff, and how do you balance out what you want and what you need, and what you're saying is, the baby Jesus wants you to have a Nintendo Wii. <laughs> I think that's probably okay. You know why I think that's probably okay? Because I know... You are the kind of guy that will share that with your friends and invite people over and use it a lot uh, to make good times with other people. Because you've had some good examples, if I'd say so myself, from, from the Scott Cranfills and, and Jarens and Brins who, who shared their big toys over the years too, huh? Uh, well, let's not use up all our extra time here. Uh, any last one or two thoughts on this, though? Up here. What, what's your name? Autumn. Say it again. Autumn. Autumn. Yeah. Um, this might scare everyone as far as I'm laughing about the sacrificial giving. Um, um, let's see, a couple weeks ago, the church that my boyfriend goes to in Los Angeles did a, a sermon, the pastor did a sermon over uh, the same verses, and by the end of the sermon, about 100 people had just given their coats already before leaving. That's what it might scare Nice. So there may be, as a practical thing, maybe we could give something to some organization. Let me check my notes. Oh. So that's a great idea. Uh, And I'm glad you guys came up with it. Uh, Yeah, it's just a really practical way of doing stuff. And so, like I said, I felt kind of silly 
trying to prepare something for this, even like some clever application. It's like, you know what? Uh, Cameron Community Ministry Center. It's a, it's a community, they're over in Lyle Ave area, which is a very different part of the city. Not folks living in the neighbor of the arts with two houses, uh, even if that's not really what that looks like. Uh, and when we did our, our Neighborhood Matters series in the fall, and on Columbus Day weekend, instead of having a, a normal set of worship gatherings, we kind of gathered for about five or ten minutes, and then we went out and served in the community. We had this set up beforehand. But uh, a group of folks in the evening service, I think it was primarily, went to the Cameron uh, Community Ministry Center over there and did some serving there. And I thought, I haven't even asked them, so I don't know if they need any of this stuff, but I, I think they will. We'll find a, play, a good home for some of these things. But I was just thinking, how about next week? You just show up with, you know, labeled, <laughs> unpunctured, uh, <laughs> some gently used food is what I'm saying. Uh, some, of your, some of you guys that have kids, that might be a fun thing to go through the cupboards and find the stuff that really has been there too long and is starting to be silly that it's still there. Go in your closets. Uh, I think this time of year, it just makes sense to pay attention to, to, to the winter clothing needs of folks. And so you may have extra stuff. Uh, and we can kind of get into this guilt cycle of, but why should I give my leftovers? You know, just start somewhere. But if you're at the point where, you know what, I don't need to buy a second coat for myself, but I sure can buy a second coat. So maybe I will buy a second coat. Maybe I'll buy a brand new second coat. And that'll be the one I give. You could do that too, I'm saying. So no big spiel here. Just bring stuff next week, and we'll make sure it gets to people that can use it. What then should we do? We could just start there. Can I say something else? You, <laughs> like I'm going to say no to, to you, Tilly. Uh, actually, I would say no to you if I felt like it. But Yes, you, you certainly may. With, with the men themselves. Right, the men gotcha. Themselves. You don't walk in and say, hey, we're, gonna, we're here to do casework. Worst thing you can do is say, I'm here to help. Wednesday, the 23rd? So let's just decide right now for the evening service, because we can make up stuff, that's where it's going. Go, go buy a bunch of extra socks, some winter gloves, some hats, coats, that kind of stuff, and Tilly will be in charge of making sure it gets the right folks. And being in charge means that she tells some of us to go take it where it needs to go or something too. Yeah. That'd be great. Could you guys use any, if folks are interested in being involved in that, because we are, we don't, we're a young church with not a lot of programmatic stuff. We're less than four or five years old here. So 
We like to help out with other things going on because we're usually more useful to that. If there's stuff that we could help with with that, is you'd let us know or... Get stuff. Very good. Does that sound doable? I think I said it last week that there's still time to get this stuff right. <laughs> like Christmas hasn't passed us yet. And so being prepared to hear from God, you know, we've had time and there's still a little time. Uh, these lavish leftovers, because that's really, they are quite lavish uh, in our culture and can be. Uh, there's still time to get that right uh, before Christmas comes and goes. And even when it comes and goes, there's still time to get it right after that if you blow it now. And that's the great thing about grace and Christ. Uh, there's a, as long as you still got breath, there's still time. But why keep waiting to be part of those blessings? And so show up next week with an offering that can be used in those ways we just mentioned. Does that sound like you can actually do that? There's a lot of things I'm horrible at, and you are too. This one you can do. And maybe if you do these little ones, ah, then the ones you've struggled with for so long, hmm, might start getting easier themselves. Let's pray. So God, we do thank you that... (laughs) that you speak down to our level, (laughs) that you don't hide behind uh, confusing philosophical concepts and and inscrutable metaphors and and just a whole bunch of confusing minutiae, but that you very plainly call us to starting points that, that anyone can do. And so my prayer for for myself, my family, and as a pastor here, is that the simple preparations that, that we've been doing in our lives would lead us to this place of saying, now what should I do? And we would be willing to respond to whatever small things you ask us to do that may lead to even greater things down the road. So help us get over whatever pride and, and arrogance that says, you know what, that's beneath me. God only wants me to do big stuff. God, uh, save us from ourselves in that kind of stupidity. Uh, And help us be humble enough to to give in ways that may seem small at first. Help us be humble enough to also be on the receiving end at times. And above all, help us make a difference in the lives of the folks at the Cameron Community Ministry Center, the lives of of our neighbors who just happen to not have a roof over their head most days uh, and that they're part of our neighborhood and really should be part of our lives as well. Help us be your blessing to them. Let that be good news that uh, leads them in a direction towards Christ. Um, For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Well, in our remaining 20 minutes or so, uh, you are welcome to respond in, in many ways in worship. One of the ways that we make sure we do every week, you know, on the off chance that we sort of blow the message time, <laughs> which, which happens, uh, we love the fact that we always reenact the gospel, that the table over here represents not a meal, not just a religious activity, but is a sacrament of the broken body there symbolized in the elements of the bread. It's a sacrament of, of Christ's shed blood that brings forgiveness of sin when we call upon it. And so if you are seeking to follow after Jesus, and let me suggest if you're doing it at the level of, let's say, a first century tax collector or soldier, if you've aspired that high, uh, that table's open for you. If you're not at that place yet, it's appropriate to just be thoughtful and pray. Uh, maybe even pray to a God you're not even sure is there. Uh, ask some questions of a, of a trusted friend here. Or come talk or pray with, with one of the pastors. Uh, and just respond as God leads you. And so with that, uh, the table is open. No need to line up and rush. There's two stations there. Just tear a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice. Uh, spend time in prayer. And then uh, the band can also come on up and continue in song. Sound good? So worship as God leads you. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.